welcome back to season three of the podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Blackwood. As many of you know, I wrote my autobiography as a survivor of human trafficking called Custom Justice. But if you didn't know, you do now. Keeping in line with that, this entire season has been focused on interviewing people who did or plan to write about their own experiences as trauma survivors and how they overcame their past. As much as we all hate commercials, they are a necessary evil these days. That's what keeps this show on the air. You can also show support by purchasing one of my books or donating through PayPal. You can find the links to either option in the podcast description. As always, a portion of the proceeds do go to local organizations that help fight human trafficking. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I am, of course, your host, Amanda Blackwood, uh, here every week with a new author who's had an incredible journey of their own. Uh, the incredible Miss um, Miranda Pacchiana is with me today. She has got some really uh, inspirational stuff. That's how we got connected was through her uh, inspirational writings and stuff on social media. So I can't wait for you guys to get to know her. And Miranda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Amanda. I'm excited to be here. Me too. It's nice to finally talk to you. I mean, we've had quite a lot of interactions and stuff through so, uh, social media, through that Facebook specifically. Yeah, we've enjoyed yeah. each other's work a lot. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, tell us a little bit about who you were as a child. Where did you grow up? How many brothers and sisters? What was your family life like as a kid? Um, I grew up in Sleepy Hollow, New York. At the time, it was called North Terrytown, a suburb of New York City. It was a lovely, leafy suburban neighborhood. And I grew up in a big blended family. Um, both my parents had been married before. And I was the youngest of six kids. And it was... Uh, busy, chaotic, and there were lots of, my father was bipolar, which um, back then we called manic depressive, which brought a lot of issues in itself. And um, it was a really challenging environment to grow up in. I bet. Yeah. My goodness. Big family. Big family of, yeah, three girls, three boys, and people would joke we were like the Brady Bunch, but it really was not like that. There was a, a lot of um, pain and trauma in the background and dysfunction, unfortunately. Um, but right. I loved my family a lot. And there are a lot of, you know, good things I got out of it as well. Um, but I'm still sort of unraveling that whole experience. And the fact that there were uh, multiple types of dysfunction and, and abuse in the household. Well, and that's a, a great segue into it. What kind of abuse and trauma, what was it that you were having to deal with? When, how old were you when all this stuff started? Um, so I don't, I no longer get into, you know, all the details about exactly what happened to me. Right. Um, just because, well, for various reasons, but one of them is I... I don't necessarily like to bring all that back up every time I speak publicly. Um, but what I can say is that when I was a, a small child, starting at around seven to 10, and I'm not really sure the exact years, it could have been more, um, but I was a victim of child sexual abuse. And um, it obviously had a huge impact on me. And I have a lot of memories of that time and what my life was like and what, how I was experiencing it. Um, and it really put me into a fight or flight mode that I lived with throughout those years and carried with me uh, for at least a decade or well, almost two decades until I really started doing the hard work in therapy and, 
and uh, examining what exactly had happened. I can absolutely identify with that. I wasn't ready to move on beyond my own past until I did all that research to try and figure out why I was reacting to certain things the way I was. Yes. And so what I, what I do talk more about is that period when I got in touch with what had happened. And I say it that way because I'm not one of those people who repressed all the memories and then they came back to me. Um, I always remembered what had happened, but I compartmentalized it because I had no other choice as a child. I just had to sort of, you know, know it happened, but decide it wasn't important and um, put it away and go on. And so um, when I has, had been in therapy for a couple of years, and for me, I find that for a lot of people, they need to be in a place that's safer in their life before they're able to have those memories and understanding come back. It's, it's not even a conscious choice, but um, I had moved away. I had gotten married fairly young. And fortunately, I picked well to a wonderful man who supported me and made me feel safe. And once I got that independence and that distance, and I started therapy because I had a lot of issues to deal with and a lot of anxiety and depression, um, that's when I finally got the courage to tell my therapist what I remembered and what I had never told anyone. And she helped me understand, even though I was in social work school and knew all about sexual abuse, I had never in my mind connected that that's what I had experienced. Um, you know, I didn't label it like that at all. Um, and so what happened was all of a sudden everything kind of came crashing back. All the feelings that I had carried with me but repressed um, came up and it was a very painful period. I was highly insecure and really sad um, and scared and all those things that I had, those experiences that I had as a child came back. So, um, but I really dug in and did the hard work on the actual abuse and I started to do a lot better after about nine months or a year. I started authentically feeling who I was without all that shame that colored it. Um, and it was a beautiful thing. But, and now we're getting to the heart of the work that I do. When I, I felt like, okay, next step, I disclose this to the people in my life. And we start to understand what had happened, what went wrong, why wasn't this seen, why wasn't I protected. Um, I'm sure that they're going to want to do that with me and heal with me, right? Mm. And, you know, I don't call it naive because I think that's a reasonable expectation. Unfortunately, that's not how people work right. in the, the vast majority of the time. And I found that out the hard way. And I was totally blindsided um, that despite um, believing me at first um, from, you know, what the people around me said, um, the support did not continue after that once I I continued to say, you know, this will never stop acknowledging that this is true, right? And we're going to address it and we're going to take precautions. And um, it was like, no, 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 no. You need to be over this now. We're not going to address it anymore. Um, you, sh you know, you already got what you needed, which is not uh, something that anyone can decide but the survivor. Right. And so that opened up this whole journey and struggle that I worked to try to 
I tried to work within the system and I tried to overcome it and I tried to be really eloquent and explain my point of view and what I needed and why this was wrong. And it wasn't getting me anywhere. It was getting me rejected. It was getting me ostracized. It was getting me scapegoated and seen as the problem. Right. Right. It takes more work to acknowledge and try to fix a problem than it does to acknowledge and try to ignore the problem. Exactly. Um, And to go along with the status quo and the power hierarchy the way it is, to not risk being the one who's getting scapegoated or getting ostracized. Um, You know, other people didn't want to be in my position, probably. I don't know. Oh, I'm Um, sure they didn't. But at the same time, they they know that if they start siding with you, so to speak, mm-hmm. even though that's the right position to take for somebody with a moral backbone, they also know that siding with you is going to leave them just as ostracized by others. So instead, they side Probably. with the majority. Probably. And there are a lot of reasons um, that I do write about on my blog that that a lot of possible reasons and motivations for people to behave this way, but it does seem to be the prevailing response to especially sexual abuse survivors. So, um, you know, here I was a trained social worker. I started going to the library and looking up journals and trying to find explanations for what was happening to me. And I really just came up short. I couldn't find anything hardly. And there wasn't, um, there weren't resources out there. You know, I don't think we even had social media at this point. Um, And so several years later, I decided, well, first of all, I started writing about it myself. I was thinking, you know, maybe I'll I'll write a book about this. Um, And I just wrote and wrote and wrote and kept trying to learn about it and talk to other survivors. And eventually I started a Facebook page called The Second Wound which is what I refer to this whole experience as it is extremely wounding. It often um, is just as bad. And some people say worse than the abuse and it doesn't have an end point. Right. So it's not like I could choose to have control over my willingness and effort to overcome the traumatic child sexual abuse that I lived through, but I can't fix this. And so I wanted to share my experiences with other people and tell them that they weren't alone and that this is what had happened to me. And over the years, um, as I began coaching other survivors, you know, so many people would reach out to me and tell me their stories. And, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people have told me similar stories over the years. And I've gleaned a lot of information from that and began to put pieces together and see that this is a phenomenon with predictable um, attributes that have some variation. But, you know, the stories that I hear, especially from my coaching clients, almost every detail they give me, I've heard or lived it's really kind of fascinating and, and tragic. Yeah. Yeah. I hear it a lot too. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I have a very good friend right now who's actually struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wondering if maybe you could offer her some words of advice. She is a uh, complex PTSD survivor mm-hmm. and she has a, a an issue with uh, friends and family who are wanting to share her story without knowing her story 
and they're dramatizing it. They're adding pieces to it. They are going into victim blaming. Mm -hmm. Would you have any kind of words of advice for this, for this uh, young friend of mine? It sounds to me like what you're describing is one of the key components to what happens to survivors when they're re-victimized, and I call it the smear campaign. Um, So they're telling a version that serves them in which you say there's victim blaming. So that can, that can be, um, they're, they made it up. They're exaggerating. Um, they consented. It wasn't as bad as they said. They're crazy. They're mentally ill, the poor thing. Um, they're a liar. And it's not only is it incredibly painful, it's so unjust and there's not a lot you can do about it. I mean, you can tell your version, um, but some people are going to believe you and some people aren't. And some people are going to sit on the fence and not really want to know. And I think to some extent, I have learned over the years to really work hard at trying to accept that fact. Um, but what I also tell everyone who is the victim of a smear campaign, and I truly believe this, you're in really good company. This happens to almost all of us. And that's because we're standing up and telling the truth. We're doing the brave thing and the healthy thing. And so I hope that that can take a little bit of the sting off to know that as horrible and unfair as that is, it's because you're brave. It's because your truth is really inconvenient and upsetting and hard for other people, but it doesn't change that it's true. Absolutely. I, I really hope she listens to this. She's been struggling now for a while with this. I'm sorry. It is. It's so, so hard. It's one of the hardest parts because you just know it's going on and you don't even know the extent or exactly what they're saying because you're not privy to it. It's, it's such a helpless feeling and feeling helpless and overpowered in that way. it, It echoes exactly what happened to you. You know, that sexual, violation, whether it's assault or abuse, you were overpowered, you were silenced. And now your voice is being shut out and someone else is telling things about you that aren't even true. It's, it's a really tough pill to swallow. Um, And, and you can't, you can't truly accept it. But I hope that, you know, these other, other points that I'm making can give her some comfort and to your listeners too, who are experiencing that. Absolutely. And one of the things that I always try to remind people of is uh, trying to set up a a list of healthy boundaries. If you feel like it's too extreme to start with this boundary, how about you start with one of the lesser boundaries and then slowly work your way up to it. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's pretty important to have those healthy boundaries, especially when you've got people in your life that you don't want to permanently dismiss, but Mm -hmm. they're not exactly helping your situation. Yeah. And what I would would add to that is to remember that boundaries are really for us. Um, we kind of need to assume that most of the time boundaries are when we set a boundary that the person or people are not going to respect it automatically because that's why we had to set a boundary with them in the first place. But it it's like a line that we're drawing that we're going to keep to. Even if they keep trying to violate it, we're going to say, no, I I said I'm not accepting that and I'm not going along with that. 
I love that. It was great advice. It puts us back in the control seat too. Yes. I think the first experience I ever had with healthy boundaries was a huge long email I I sent to somebody about, hey, look, you have been doing X, Y, Z for so long that this is what I have grown to be accustomed to, and I will no longer accept it. And I wrote out this list of demands. If you're going to speak to me because you want to get whatever it is back, then these are the guidelines. If you don't adhere to them, I will end this conversation immediately the second you cross that line. Okay. How'd that work? And (laughs) in a very strange way, it actually worked for that one interaction only. Okay. After that, he felt like that he had um, uh, gained a little bit of his footing back Uh and he started to get back into his old habits and stuff. And eventually um, I had to put him back in his place again and sever all communication. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's sometimes that's what it takes. These people are, even when they don't realize it, a lot of times they are being abusive just Mm -hmm. with the things that they're saying and, and the, what they're doing to us, even if it's not a physical assault. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. And I'd also like to point out that, Setting boundaries and maintaining contact with friends and family members who are participating in the second wound is is really complicated. I always, um, I always, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of the word. It's not coming to me. But I give over power to the the individual, to the survivor, to the client I'm working with, it's up to them how they want to navigate that, right? What, right? what I've learned from my experience is that I tried to keep people in my life and accept that they had these limitations that we were never going to see eye to eye on it, but we could still love each other. And it didn't work for me. I am now estranged from my family. But even so... I had to go through that. I had to try it. I had to use my voice to say exactly what I felt was wrong, um, hear, you know, hear their point of view too, and make those attempts because these are people who were really important to me. And I don't just walk away from relationships. I'd never had, I had no experience doing that really. And so, um, I always respect people's need to go through that process. And sometimes certain people may rise to the occasion. You know, Um, I've had people in my life who didn't support me for a long time and then all of a sudden got it for various reasons. You know, it's rare and it shocked me, but every now and then that does happen. So um, you got to do it your own way. Just, I think it is important to know that, there's a good chance that you will be disappointed, but I never discourage somebody from trying unless I think it's a dangerous situation. Right. I just try to help them see the reality of the chances that it will succeed and sort of help prepare them. Do you still deal with um, some of the heartbreak involved with being estranged from your family? Absolutely. I mean, that's just a sadness that, doesn't go away. It's funny, Amanda, I um, was looking through some notes that I had on my Google Drive 
when I'm interviewed for podcasts. I was just going through them today and I had written a bunch of things about sort of where I am today. Um, and the last time I looked at these notes was maybe a year ago. And I started editing it because <clears throat> I really felt better about a lot of these things about even my estrangement from my family and the way that it, it has brought out trust and abandonment issues in me that add on to the ones that came from my abuse. Um, <clears throat> and that does come up in my relationships and my feelings about myself, but it really has gotten better over time. And that was heartening to see. Um, but yes, absolutely. I think estrangement is also kind of taboo the way uh, sexual abuse is. It's something that we tend to be ashamed of and not want to tell people about. Right. And so that only adds to the stigma of what we're living through. I know in my own personal case, uh, anytime people found out for years when they found out that I was estranged from my family, I would then be put under the microscope and under a lot of pressure where people would tell me, you need to make up with your family because you only get the one. But that's not the case at all, is it? No, it's really not. And people need to get rid of this notion. They really do. Um, and, you know, I think that that concept comes from their own needs. You know, the idea that like, God forbid, one of my kids cuts me off, right? Um, it's really not about you. It's about them. But, and I think sometimes people are well-meaning. They just assume that your reasons aren't that great, but that's statistically research-wise, that is not true at all. Almost everybody would love to have a relationship with their parents, even though it's probably going to be flawed. Most of us wish that our family members could be in our lives. Um, and it takes a lot for people to cut someone out. Right. For the most part. So that's an assumption that only causes more pain. And I'm sorry that you got that response. I've gotten it at times too. Um, I've had people also say to me things like, you know, I was abused as a child and I just dealt with it and got over it. <laughs> Implying That's like, you. great for you. <laughs> yeah. Which is, is not really the case. I mean, you can't do that. You have to go through those feelings and experience them in order to get better. Right. The implication being like, why can't you just do that? You know, stuff it down like I did. Right. Right. Like a light switch, right? Yeah. <laughs> stuff it way, way down and then oh. just let it uh, erode you from the inside yeah and we'd all yeah, be more comfortable <laughs> yeah yeah everybody else would be more comfortable exactly that's what I mean yeah yeah exactly. and that fits so well into this huge list of trauma responses that we go through when we're trying to deal with or not deal with what it is that we've been through I mean mm -hmm. it's it's incredible what our bodies will force us to do our bodies and brains mm -hmm. in order to deal with something that's right yeah. yeah. I mean, the only way to get to the other side is to go through it. Just like I, and I've written about that year after I disclosed to my therapist, um, I would cry every Sunday night because I had to go back and in, out into the world the next day and go to work and go to class. And I couldn't face people. I couldn't look people in the eye. I was terrified of everything because I had regressed and gone back to be that little child that was so raw and so hurt. But that 
helped me in the long run because I was able to get the love and support that I needed, that I had needed back then. I got it from my therapist, my husband, my good friends, and I was able to then start to heal. And, you know, there, there's like an event that happened at the end of the year where I showed up and saw some people that I hadn't seen in a year. And they all just stared at me like, what happened to you? Did you like go to a spa or something? I just looked like a different person. I was more comfortable in my own skin. It's because you did the work. Yeah. I mean, I I did the first chunk, right? Because it never ends. Yeah. 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 It's it's this lifelong journey for sure. That's true. So when you go through and you... Uh, have something that you've accomplished and you're proud of? How do you celebrate your little wins in life? I love that question. Um, I celebrate with the people in my inner circle who are genuinely happy for me and proud of me and who I want to celebrate too, because they were there for me along the way. Um, You know, my, my own family, my husband, my kids, my dear friends, that's what makes it real for me. That is really cool. Those are very special moments. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that you've got a lot of different projects going on typically. Can you talk a little bit about your podcast? I would love to. Thank you. My podcast is called Truth and Consequences, Navigating the Aftermath of Trauma. Um It's about all kinds of trauma, although we do talk a lot about sexual abuse and assault, and I talk to lots of survivors. Um, So I live in Sandy Hook, Connecticut. I've lived here for 30 years. I raised my family here. My children all went to Sandy Hook school. So I know what it's like to live, you know, in a community that's still traumatized, of course. Um, And I, you know, have several close friends who are directly impacted. In fact, um, two of them are interviewed on the podcast and my dear friend Francine Wheeler, whose, whose son Ben was killed at the school. Um, she did a beautiful interview with me that we titled, you can still have joy because she is truly in touch with her pain and her loss. And she talks about it really honestly. Um, but she says and explains to listeners that even though it's so big and so awful and so real, you can still have joy. She says it's like her metaphor is I don't have arms or legs. Like people look at me and they don't realize that I'm like a person with no arms or legs, but I can still move through life. Um, And that's a message that I want trauma survivors to know and to feel hope from. Um, so yeah, so we, I also have a co-host lately, um, who's, who co-hosts a bunch of episodes with me. She's my friend, Catherine Robb. She's an attorney and a survivor and the executive director of Child U.S. Advocacy, um, which advocates, they're a lobbying arm of a nonprofit called Child USA, which is really well-respected around the country. Um, and they lobby for statute of limitation reforms and other legal ways to protect children from child abuse and neglect. So she's a dear friend and um, a real passionate, wonderful advocate. And we've interviewed a lot of great people. Um, 
We recently did a three-part series where we talk about, we give advice and walk people through how to sue someone for sexual abuse or assault, um, which is something that she and I have both walked through. Um, and I recently, I just interviewed uh, Judith Herman, who wrote the book Trauma and Recovery. She is a, Dr. Judith Herman. She's actually absolutely a brilliant author and researcher who's really well respected. And if you haven't read Trauma and Recovery, I highly recommend it. She has a new book coming out called Truth and Repair, which is a follow up to it. So that was actually incredibly exciting to talk to her because she's a legend. Um, we just interviewed Rowena Chu, who is, her story is featured in the movie and the book she said, as well as Catch and Kill. We had a great interview. And um, if you listen to it, you'll find out that she and I met, well, not in person, but we virtually have met um, through a connection that has absolutely nothing to do with our work. We <laughs> just happened to find out that we had a friend in common. It was really funny. So um, she and I really hit it off. And that's a fun interview. But anyway, lots of different um, survivors of various traumas. And where do people go to find this? Um, well, they can find it on any of the podcast platforms. And there's also a website called truthandconsequences.com. Um, it's truth, the letter N consequences. And we're on all the media platforms, social media platforms as well. Oh, very cool. Yeah. And if they want to find my website, it's secondwound.com. And I talk all about this concept, the second wound, and I have a blog and um, just lots of good information and stories from other survivors. I think people will find it comforting if they're experiencing this. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you do have a blog and I understand you have some of your blog that you would like to read for the audience. Yeah, I picked out a specific blog post that I titled scapegoats are the strong ones. And I just wanted to read a little bit from the latter half of it. Scapegoats play an important and positive role. Like the guileless parade goer in the classic tale who points out that the emperor has no clothes, scapegoats tell the truth when nobody else will. And they go against the crowd to do so. Too bad because the entire group would be better off if people had the courage to listen. Someone has to be the brave one after all, or the entire kingdom would go along with the king's dangerous delusions, resulting in a culture of denial and a naked king. I like to imagine how the fable of the emperor would play out if it were true to life. In my mind, the powers that be and their enablers castigate the truth teller for speaking up, and she is expelled from the kingdom, true to herself, yet alone and abandoned. But it doesn't end there. She keeps walking through the gates of the kingdom and on down the road. She is scared and sad at first, but through her travels, she lear learns to rely on herself. She meets people who are kind and open-hearted. They embrace her morality, humor, and compassion, and she appreciates these same qualities in them. Over time, our hero joins a small community of people who value her for the authentic person she is. She settles in a village where people act out of empathy, humility, courage, and honesty. They do their best to protect the vulnerable and fight against abuses of power. They tackle difficult problems instead of avoiding reality or blaming others. And they offer each other acceptance and genuine love, messy and flawed as it may be. Just as our hero suspected, she finds that this way of life is infinitely more gratifying than the culture of denial and repression she came from. This story is not a fairy tale. 
In fact, we all have the ability to go out and find our people, the ones who are willing to live in the truth with us, who know abuse when they see it, and who value morality more than inclusion. Follow your instincts and keep moving forward one step at a time. Even if the kingdom you come from does not see your worth, you deserve to be embraced and valued for the strong, wise, upstanding person that you are. I see the price you paid to be true to yourself, and I admire you for it. That's, That's fantastic. Thank you. I, people can find your blog through your website? Yep, it's right on there, yeah. Awesome. And they can sign up to get alerts when I have new posts. Nice. Very yeah. cool. I know a few people that could probably um, use that occasional encouragement. Oh, well, wonderful. Well, I hope I can share it with them. You know, and like I said, we originally connected through social media. I've been following your uh, Facebook page now for a few years. And every now and then you'll post something where it's like, oh, that is that's a really deep cut. But why, <laughs> why do I Thank hurt you. from this? <laughs> oh, yeah, I do. I, I create a lot of graphics with just quotes that I make myself. Um, and because I live and breathe this concept of the second wound, these things just come into my head, you know, and I think a lot about them and all of a sudden they just gel into a statement. And so I make these graphics and share them and I do get people really responding passionately to them. So I appreciate right. saying that. In both good and bad ways, you get these responses. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it hurts yeah. sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. some people are reacting out of that zone of trauma. They're not healed yet. They're, they don't want to acknowledge this as being a part of their existence. But that's why it hurts is because it is. And we can't keep yeah. denying it. Yes. And what I hope that my quotes and my work and my social media page does for people too is to clarify what you know in your gut, but you can't really grasp because the second world, the second wound, I was going to say world, it does feel like a world. Yeah. It's like upside down land. Like everything is upside down and backwards. People are pointing at you saying you're the problem. And you're saying, no, I'm just saying what is true. And I'm what is true is that there's a problem, you know, there's <laughs> abuse in this system, in this group. And so when I can turn that around and pinpoint exactly what's happening, I think people kind of have that aha moment and it's a relief and they realize that what they felt is encapsulated in this, you know, this statement, this quote, whatever it is. So I think that that can help people understand what they're going through and also just feel comforted and seen. Right. And knowing that they're not alone. Exactly. I say that a lot. Yep. So I, there's always one last question that I ask people before I let them go. Okay. And it's my favorite question. So okay. you can take a moment to think about it if you need to, but uh, usually the first impression is the best impression. Okay. So can you name at least one thing that you absolutely love about yourself that is not based on your physical appearance? Mm, I like that too. <laughs> um, I th it's funny because I often wonder with my work, I just assume that people have no idea about this aspect of me, but I can be really funny. Um, and especially like when I'm out relaxed in a social situation with friends, I can have a pretty sharp wit and humor and I crack people up a lot and they tell me that they think I'm hilarious um, and it's funny because it's a part of me that only comes out 
here and there. I mean, I, I'm funny, like around the house, I crack my husband up all the time, just saying silly <laughs> little things. But um, that aspect of me, it's just sort of like, I don't know, it just only comes out at certain times. So I really like that about myself. I love that I can make people laugh and have fun with me that way. And um, it's interesting, too, because it actually comes out of kind of a pathology originally, which is that I did feel like that child at the parade that was saying things that no one wanted to hear. And what I learned from a young age was if I was sarcastic and I turned it into a joke, I could say it. <laughs> I could say certain things. And then that became, I would sometimes hurt people's feelings and they would say like, oh, or I'd say something nice. And my friends would say, did you mean that? Or are you being sarcastic? Um, so I had to learn to pull that back and be appropriate with it. And, you know, obviously I got a lot healthier. I wasn't saying sarcastic things that hurt people's feelings anymore. Um, but the wit has remained and I, yeah, I like that part of me. I think it's a pretty fun part of you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for being on the show with me today, Miranda. You're incredible. And I'm going to make sure that I add all of the links and everything to your podcast, uh, to your website, to your social media pages and stuff in the description of this uh, podcast. That way when people are listening, if they want to learn more, it'll be really easy for them to go out and follow you, find you, listen to you, whatever it is. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add before we go? Hmm. Um, yeah, I would say that even though it might seem like it's not possible, you can heal and get better. You can have joy in your life and you can create a chosen family. And if you feel like you don't have the tools to do that right now, get the help and support that you need, you know, start with a therapist. If you, if you have the means to do that in any way um, and just keep that hope alive because I was that lost and lonely, miserable person once. Um, and I got myself here and I think that you can too. That's beautiful. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Amanda. This has been really fun. And I've been really happy to get to know you in this new way. And I appreciate the opportunity. I'm really glad that you were willing and, and able to be on my podcast today. This means a lot to me. Me too. You're Thanks. one of my heroes. I, I, I know I didn't tell you that before, but. Wow. You've helped me with a lot of stuff that I was trying to deal with that I didn't realize I was still trying to deal with. Wow, that means so much to me. I'm so glad I was able to be helpful, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. Don't forget, you can also tune into the Growth from Darkness podcast series now, where I co-host with a lady from Australia. You're going to love her accent. For more information, just go to growthfromdarkness.com. If you've enjoyed tonight's episode, please make sure you check out the episode description. You're going to find links there on how you can learn more about this guest, links to connect with them on social media, and how to support this podcast. Remember, I don't get paid to do this. My boss is a bit tight-fisted, but I can say that. I work for myself. In short, this show really is all about the guest. If you've enjoyed this interview, please feel free to let them know. Mm -hmm.